Amen. Good morning. My name is Ray Brandon, the pastor for preaching here at Northbridge. Merry Christmas. This morning, we bring you good tidings. We bring to you wonderful news. Uh, We bring to you peace on earth, goodwill to men. Uh, Jesus Christ um, has come. He lived uh, a perfect life. He died on the cross for sins. He is risen again. Um, He is our Savior and our King. So let us worship our King, our Savior, Jesus. If you would, take your Bibles and open up to the collection of Psalms. Psalm 74. Psalm 74. It is during this Advent season, during Christmas, that we think about Mary and Joseph. Mary, um, a young woman, betrothed to Joseph, making their way by decree to Bethlehem. And what that lonely night, that lonely journey could have meant, we, we really can only speculate. The, the scriptures don't, do not say, but I think it's okay to wonder as we open up this particular psalm, if we would wonder that Joseph... We're to say, God, what are you doing exactly? I think, it's, I think it's more than speculation, for certainly Joseph did wonder that um, when it came to him that his fiance well, was pregnant. And so there was divine intervention, revelation. God appeared um, to him, brought word to him so that he would not put away Mary. He understood a little bit of what was happening. Here the psalmist, Asaph, is in an even deeper, darker night. Um, The the psalms themselves were collected together, and they are in the form that we find them here in our Bibles during a very deep and difficult time when Israel was in captivity. And so the date of this particular psalm, when was this psalm written? We, we don't really know exactly the date. There's some indicators in the text of certain things that are happening. Namely, there isn't a prophetic word at this time. So we can look at the, the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah and say, well, this must have been outside of that particular time that they were prophesying. But we, it opens up this section in book three that only continues to grow darker until you get to the end of this particular section, this book. And it begins, oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Now that's a heavy question for this season, but it is an appropriate question. What is God doing in the world? Here's what, here's what we learn. Um, if we have the next slide there, just to, to summarize, here's what we learn through this particular psalm, that through worship, God reminds his people that he will save. If you were to go back and, and reconsider what we learned last week, that verse 17 of Psalm 73 It was when he went into worship, into the sanctuary of God, that 
he discerned their end, that all of a sudden life um, began to make sense. And you would think that at the end of that psalm, at the end of that psalm, he says, but it's good for me to be near to God, for I've made God, the Lord God, my refuge, that I may tell of your works, that all of a sudden things are going to, to get better. But what happens in the next psalm? The light doesn't get brighter. It seems to get darker. But yet he holds on to hope. It is an amazing psalm, and I, I want you to see some of the similarities here um, in, in these psalms that are threaded together, because in Psalm 72, a song of Solomon, is David praying for Solomon in particular. He, he is praying about this place of worship, and that Solomon, he builds this, this, this place of worship, the, the temple to God, in verse 20 of Psalm 72 ends, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. He ends that with this blessing that that we can actually see um, in the words of Jesus, even in Matthew 28, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever, that the whole earth may be filled with his glory. Psalm 73 is that, that psalm of illumination, as he looks out, the next psalm, as he looks out at the world, the psalmist looks out at the world and says, I don't think God's at work. And then he goes into that place that David prayed for, that place of worship, that gathered worship. Psalm 74 as well, the theme of gathered worship, although darker, is also in this psalm. But what we see here is in this psalm that through worship, God reminds his people that he will save. He makes good on his promises. You can trust in Almighty God. That's what is packed into this very dark psalm. It's a difficult psalm, not because the understanding of it is difficult, but because the place of the psalmist is difficult. Let's read the psalm together. Follow along um, as I read the words of Scripture for you in Psalm 74. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees, and all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet. And there is none among us who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand? Your right hand, take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. 
Yet God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the water. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and the needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we read your word here. And the, end, and the ending is striking. For the foes in their uproar continue. So even as we gather for worship, we gather just like the psalmist in this moment to proclaim that you, O oh God, are our king from old. We trust you are working salvation in the midst of the earth. We have seen you work in scripture and we know your goodness. We know the covenant and we know the promises. And so while the clamor may go on around us and we do not know how long, we do know we trust in you. And that is not because we in and of ourselves are so good so smart that we have been perceptive like other people have not. But we know it's by the work of your Son and the gifting of your Spirit that we recognize our deep need for a Savior. And so we continue amidst the clamor as the psalmist to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, in the psalm, um, here's, here's the division of the psalm that, that you'll see here. God's anger burns. Notice that the first thing, it's, it starts off, why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Notice that this is the wrath of God disciplining his children. You know, that the psalmist is acknowledging that. And, and for, for 11, 10, 11 verses there, it's God's anger that's burning. However, in that, verses 12 through 17... God is working salvation for his people, even in the midst of this great trial. Why? Because God does not forget his promises. 
The psalmist is going to the word of God. So we'll leave this up here so you can follow along as um, we're in the text together. Notice the question that opens up. He's going to God with his complaint. And and in verse 2, it starts a prayer. His complaint is, God, why have you cast us off? Why do we feel so far from you? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Why are all of these things in the world around us happening in this way that we are carrying the burden and the weight of sin and evil? And he says, remember your congregation which you have purchased of old. The language in this prayer goes back to the Exodus. Notice there it says he's purchased of old. When did he do that? In which you have redeemed to be your tribe of your heritage. You're going to see this Exodus language play out through the rest of the psalm. God bringing his people in with signs and wonders miraculously out of the wilderness and preserving them um, throughout the wilderness into the land of promise. He says, remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Remember the place, God, of your dwelling. He's reminding God of what he has done. Notice how the psalmist calls God. And and I think this is a good practice in your own prayer life. Look what he says there in verse 3. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the where? The sanctuary. In the sanctuary. This is the the, the temple is no longer. That place of worship um, is no longer. In Psalm 73, verse 17, he says, he went into the sanctuary of God and then he discerned his end. There was this place of the the presence of God and worship. This was a formal place of worship. And and this is where, in in that time of worship, that he found hope and understanding that wisdom from above was delivered and his eyes were opened. Now that place is what? It is no longer. That very place in which he found solace and comfort in God, the formal worship, it is no longer. And notice what he says to God. God, come over here. Can you see this? God, do you see what's happening here? Do you know about this? He's calling God over. Now, he's he's doing this um, in, in raising his prayer of complaint to God. And then what he does is he describes in verses 4 through 8 what's happening This is the place. This is the holy place. What's happening in this holy place? He says, your foes have roared in the midst of your your meeting place. Who is now in the sanctuary? It is the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people. They're making a mockery out of worship. He says, they set up their own signs for signs. You think about the, um, the mechanics of temple and tabernacle and the, the symbols and signs that were in there, that were directing God's people towards God. Those signs were taken away, and now what's put in place? Something else. Leading in a different direction. The signs of who you are, they're gone. And and then the language that is in the next um, two verses, um, verses 5 and 6, are revealing. They're they're poetic. The psalmist is equating the temple to the world. This sanctuary, this holy place, this place of God's presence is the world itself. It is the habitation of humanity, right? Because he's talking about the tabernacle, but notice the language that he uses. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. 
So we've gone now from the the holy place in the temple now to the forest of trees. And, And what's happening here is that the foes of God are destroying creation. They're they're destroying God's good order that he sustains by his hand in creation. And all its carved wood, they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire, profaning the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. In other words, God, not only when your holy place is destroyed, is when there isn't the worship of God in the world, what happens is evil spreads out and destroys everything. God, look at this. Look at the expanse, your dwelling place, not just this place of worship, but now all of the earth is under this particular rule and curse and evil. And notice what they say. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. That's what the enemies of God were doing. And he cries out in verse 9, he says, We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet. There isn't word or sign in the land. This is utter hopelessness for the psalmist. There is none among us who knows how long. How long will the darkness prevail? How long? How long will, how long, oh God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Can you feel hope? And then he says to God, why do you have your hands in your pockets? That's what he says in the next verse. You got your hands in your pockets. Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. With one hand, God could. So this is putting humanity on the person of God. It's speaking about God in human language. God, all you'd have to do is take your hand out of the fold of your garment and just brush them away and everything would be okay. It gets really, really dark at that point. But notice there's a turn and it's a beautiful turn. As he he notes in verse 12, he says, yet, don't you like that word right, right now, right about now? Yet, God, my king is from of old. Now, he's not saying, I've got an old king. (laughs) He's saying, no, my God, my king, has been around for a long time. That's the the clear implication. It's not implied, and you've got to somehow look for it. It's very clear. He says, working in the past, continuing to the present, moving forward is the language of the text, Working salvation, what? In the midst of this dark, beat down, and smoking ember of a world. God is working. 
And then the language of the Exodus comes back into play, and we can see this poetic imagery just burst on the scene in the middle of this dark psalm. He says, you divide the sea by your might. Oh, if you're a reader of scripture, that all of a sudden you're like, yes, we're back at the Exodus where Israel was backed up by the Egyptian army. They had come through. Pharaoh said, yes, you can go and worship. In fact, get out of here. Take the spoils of Egypt and go. They were backed up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh changed his mind and he sent the army to destroy them. And God divided the sea. And then as the army came through the Red Sea, what happened is God closed the sea and utterly defeated the Egyptians, the foes of Israel. He says, you broke the head of the sea monsters on the water. That's poetic imagery we see and we, we hear of um, ex, or Exodus chapter 15 and verses 2 and 13, the water opening and the water closing. He says, you crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open the springs and brooks You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also is the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Notice that, that he points to what? He says there's no signs in the land and there's no word. But what does he point to here? What are the signs? Oh, we can, we can look back, right? We can look back and we can see that You were faithful to Israel. You did this sign. And then he says, we also, here's the second sign. What is the second sign? You fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You made summer and you made winter. That's miraculous. It's miraculous because we experienced both this week. (laughs) Some of you went golfing on Wednesday. And now there's snow on the ground. He's saying, you have fixed these boundaries. These are the signs. Now, um, warm up your fingers. We're going to go on a little journey in Scripture. You're going to want to keep your finger there at Psalm 74. But I want you to see that the beauty of a psalm is that in this imagery is compacted. Um, There are these types and shadows that are here in the text. Um, that if we will look and, and, and say, what's happening here? Um, when we see some words in the Psalms and we begin to tug on those, a little branch in Scripture over here begins to rustle. And then we tug on another one and a little branch over here begins to rustle. And it is the miraculous way that God has fit his Scriptures together. Um, he says, looking back up at verse 13, you've divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the water. I mean, I think sea monsters and leviathans are extremely interesting. What is this? What is going on in this particular text? Turn to Isaiah. Isaiah. Well, actually, turn over a few pages. Um, Just to Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is the um, close to the end of book 3. It's the last, but um, 89 verses 9 and 10, so close to almost the, the, the very closing of, the, of book 3, which ends, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen, verse 52. Verses 9 and 10 says, 
You rule the raging sea. When the waves rise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scatter your enemies with a mighty arm. Here he's referencing the wind and the waves of the sea and Rahab. So go, go over to Isaiah 27 and verse 1. So turn back a couple of books. So Isaiah verse 27, or chapter 27 in verse 1. Isaiah the prophet says that in the day of the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan. The fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is where? In the sea. So Psalm 89, he's ruling the raging sea, crushing Rahab. Who is this Rahab? Turn back to Isaiah 30, just a couple of pages. Isaiah 30, in verse 7. Egypt, Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab. Who sits still. Turn back to Psalm 74. Do you see what's the imagery that is encapsulated in this particular psalm? Um, it, it gets even better. It gets even what what's happening is God here is doing what? He is he he is who is who is God crushing and defeating? Well, when we see the imagery, we know it's Exodus. Um, we can see the connection. We know that this, is, um, that this is Egypt, that God is destroying Egypt. He's destroying his enemies through this particular flood. But the imagery is, is, is better. It's better. Who is this Leviathan? Who is this? Go over to Job chapter 26, verse 12. Who is the serpent? Job 26 and verse 12. The word of God says this, by his power, he is stilling the sea. By his understanding, he is shattering Rahab. And then back even further in chapter 9, verse 13. God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him, bowed the helpers of Rahab. So who, who, what is God doing? When, when we see this imagery of the serpent, the serpent that's Egypt, the enemy of God, and God is doing what? This serpent that's in the sea, and he's opening the sea, and then he's destroying the sea. What is he doing? Notice there it says, you crushed what? Head of Leviathan. Notice in verse 13, it says, You broke what? The heads of the sea monsters on the water. Now, if I had told you to turn to Genesis chapter 3, you might have already made the connection. But go ahead and do that. Genesis chapter 3. In verse 15, 
Um, this is this part of the, the Bible in this is God's promise that he would someday send a Savior. And notice that even though it's amidst what, what's happening here in Genesis 13, is this a dark hour in human history? Yes. It's sin in the fall. What is God doing? What is he promising? Verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. Or he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's happening? What, what is happening in this psalm? Is the psalmist is delivering the gospel. That God is going to save. That God is going to, to destroy the head of the serpent. That the, serp, the head of the serpent will crush, or the head said the serpent will be crushed. The heel of the king will be bruised. That the one that comes, that was promised of woman, will come into the world. And he will save the world. A savior is coming. Even as God, through the exodus, opened the sea and destroyed the sea monster in the sea. So God is swallowing up, destroying all evil. And God will sustain. Notice what it says in verse 15. You split open the springs and the brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Where did God do this? Was it not in the wilderness? Um, was it not um, the Apostle Paul um, who speaks of this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? When he says... I'll get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They all were baptized into Moses in cloud and sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Who was the rock that was split open in the wilderness? It was Christ. In the wilderness of our suffering, in the wilderness of humanity's suffering, it is Christ. Now, this is the sign. This is the sign, and we know of the power of God because he says here, yours is the day and the night. You've fixed all the boundaries. Of course this is all true because look at creation. You speak, and it is so. Why won't you remove your hand? But you will. And then finally, the final section, God does not forget his promises. Remember this. He, he goes to prayer. Again, remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs. And foolish people revile your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast and do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant 
for the dark places of the land are full of habitations and violence. He's reminding through this section the covenant. God, the longer you take to move, the more people suffer, the more that there's suffering in the world. And I find it amazing. I don't like the Hallmark Channel. But I want a Hallmark ending to this psalm. Don't you? But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. It ends with an exclamation point. It ends with the psalmist crying out, don't forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which, continually go, which goes up continually. There's still the noise of rebellion happening. So what is the psalmist calling us to? In this difficult time, you know, I think when we ponder this season, we, we can't help but think of that couple, Mary and Joseph, who had such a treasure and who were promised so much, but yet it was in such a difficult time. Sometimes, you know, with um, all the, the crash and all the, the, the manger scene and the, all the little figurines, we forget shortly after what did they have to do they fled for their lives i think that might have been a time of great wondering this psalm itself was a psalm that was regularly repeated it's it says it's a masculine that means it was a psalm for the liturgy for the worship it was a psalm in regular rotation in worship where God's people cried out to him and said, see, it's still happening, God. Do something about it, and we're trusting in you. And that's a beautiful thing. For I think we know full well that evil continues to rule in the world. I think that we know full well that our own sin and, as a result, our own suffering contributes I think when we see this and we read this as Christians, we know even further the depths of our need for a Savior and our hearts yearn that he would come and make things right, that, that he would rule as king. And we must cry out like this. This gives us a pattern uh, to cry out in the world today and say, our king is a king of old and we've seen his sign. We see it in the word we see it all around us, and we will believe. We will trust in him, and we will worship. The psalm itself was sung in worship. And so, friend, I ask, are you singing this psalm today? Are you trusting fully in him? Maybe you're here today or you're watching this and you've never come to the place where you've said, I need a Savior. This psalm points us to the only hope. It takes us down to the pit and actually it gets worse as we go through the next psalms. But hope is always there. And the hope is always in Jesus. That's where hope springs 
And we see it in the revelation of the word of God, page after page after page. It says, we have a king who is our savior. And it calls us to lay down our own striving and to be subject to the king. To lay down our fears and our anxieties and to rest and make him our refuge. And so, yes, this is a call to the ungodly, but this is a psalm that is for worship. If you're here today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, this is a psalm for you. It's a call for you to trust. For you to trust in him when you don't understand, when you are suffering. When sin and evil and suffering befall you, go to worship and you will find hope. And at the center of that hope will be the King, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you have reminded us in such a beautiful way, in the darkness, you have shown a light. And in this season, as we pass through this winter time that is full of darkness, I pray that outside of our windows, our car windows, as we see the lights shining in the darkness, that we will remember that your signs and wonders are all around us. And they are most clearly seen. The light shines in the darkness most clearly through the revelation of God in Christ. And we have that in the word of God. So Lord, may that lead us to repentance and faith in you. May you strengthen our faith. May we know how to rest and may we know how to work by your grace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.